The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you do not even have a bucket, and the cistern is deep. Where then can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this cistern and drank from it himself with his children and his flocks? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. I can see that you are a prophet our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but, your, but you people say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not understand. We worship what we understand because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And indeed, the Father seeks such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking with you. Many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more began to believe in him because of his word, and they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of your word, for we have heard it for ourselves and we know that this is truly the savior of the world. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. In the first week of Lent, we left the noise of the world behind to follow Christ into the desert. Last week, we climbed the mountain with him. And this week, the, there's an invitation in our gospel to meet Christ at the well. He's there waiting for me. He's waiting for you. 
that you might also have a life-changing moment such as this Samaritan woman had on that midday encounter with him at the well. This Samaritan woman, we don't know a whole lot about her backstory, but we know enough to, to understand why she's going to the well at the middle of the day. She's not, she doesn't have a good reputation in the town. She's had six different men in her life. She's confused about a lot of things, and to go to the well at midday in the, in the heat of the day was, was a time when not many would be there, or if anyone at all. So we, we can recognize this poor woman has, uh, she has a few patterns of behavior in her life built on her shame and her guilt. She doesn't want to be at the well with the other members of the town. She doesn't want to hear their gossip or maybe their chide comments about her. So she goes in the middle of the day to avoid everyone. She's hiding. She probably wasn't too thrilled when she turned the corner and, and Jesus was sitting there. She was hoping it would be an empty well. But thankfully, she, she did meet Christ there at the well. I'd like to interpret this gospel passage in sort of a, a, a maybe a, a very contemporary way. You can read the Bible always on many different layers of meaning. Recently, there's been a lot of uh, interpretation of the Bible in an existentialist or a psychological way. It's just one way to shed a little bit of light. I think there's a lot we can, we can learn from this if we think about it in those terms. Because what this woman is doing is she's hiding in the fog of life. What does it mean to hide in the fog? In psychology, we use this term for a handful of behavioral patterns that all of us in some way have adopted into our lives, and it's good to shine light on those to get rid of the fog. Three main points come to mind on a personal level, especially if you're young, you're going to have some hopes and dreams. You might set a goal for yourself. I want to go to this university and get this degree. Or you might have something like an ideal that you're striving for. I want to be the best doctor I could be. I want to be a good spouse or a good parent. So you have this ideal and a goal up here that you're striving for. And that all sounds really good, but what happens when you, you strive for the goal and you don't reach it? Well, every time you put a goal in your life subconsciously, you're adding a weight to your soul because between you and the goal or the ideal, there's a gap that, hap that comes and it's judging you every day. You're not there yet. You're not good enough yet. You haven't reached your ideal yet. We don't realize it's happening, but subconsciously, we actually don't like often to put clear goals and have clear ideals, and so we just don't make goals or have any direction. We hide in the fog of life. A second way of doing this, this also starts when we're young. As a little kid, you, you see the world as one big playground, right? It's toy land and candy land, and it's, and it's wonderful and then you get older and you realize the world is a dangerous place and your vision of the world is shattered. You grow up 
thinking that your parents are the best. Dad is the strongest, mom is the nicest, and then as you get older, you realize that's not necessarily true. They're human like anyone else. It shatters that, what you thought you knew of the world. And you leave home and you think the world is a just place. I'm gonna do this and that and get a job and all of a sudden the world isn't very fair. And once again, what you thought you knew is shattered to avoid the pain of having your worldview shattered. You stop wanting to know more and you just put your head down and try to muddle through life. You might be doing this if you spend hours scrolling on your phone. A third way to do this is to not, hiding in the fog of life is to say, I don't wanna face any real problem in my life today. I'm gonna to hope it goes away tomorrow. In the short term, it's hard to face a problem, to have a crucial conversation. It's easier to just pretend like it's not there and hope it goes away. All of these, these three examples are ways of trying to protect yourself from ever being hurt. But the price that we pay, like this Samaritan woman, for living in the fog of life is purposelessness. It's a little bit of a tongue twister to say. To not have meaning in your life. You don't really have any goal, a direction, you're just spending your life scrolling through your phone. Well, Jesus certainly wants to change that. Meeting Christ at the well is to invite the light of God into your life to chase, chase away some of those shadows. Psychology can only tell us a few things about this. It takes theology and faith to go a little deeper. If in your life you've had a hard time putting goals or maybe having an ideal, perhaps today Jesus is asking you to make a plan for your life in some way. What could you do this year or this Lent to be a better Christian, a better person? For the young men who are here, to hide in the fog of life is to not buy that ring for that girl in your life and to just, in a sense, enjoy the short-term hookup culture. Buy that ring, take that plunge, have a goal in your life. It might be hard in the short term to give up some of those behaviors, but in the long term, it's beautiful. If you have a hard time trusting others in your life or in the world, remember that trust is not a naive act of faith. It's actually an act of courage to trust someone else in your life. You're saying, I trust you even though I know you might hurt me. It takes courage to start again. And if you avoid problems in your life, especially for married couples, it's, it's easier at times to just pretend like there's not a problem. And if you do that though, you're, you are fighting each other without words. It's not maybe communicated, but you're being passive aggressive all the time. And one little annoying problem is fine, but a thousand of them is going to hurt you and your marriage long term. I love this example. When there's a problem in your relationship, sit together on the couch side by side and put the problem on the coffee table and together solve that problem. 
to hide in the fog of life is to come home from work and your spouse is ignoring you and you say to your spouse, why are you ignoring me? That's hiding in the fog. You're saying it's his problem or her problem. The truth is a lot deeper and we need to shine the light on that truth. The truth is you should say to your spouse, dear, I can't bear the loneliness when I don't have your attention. That's actually what's bothering you. When we come to the well, we're inviting Christ to meet us there, to allow his light to change our life. And that's the invitation this morning as we come to the well. Let that be your prayer today. Jesus, please meet me at the well. That Samaritan woman didn't really want to find Christ there. It was, in a sense, short-term, hard to have that conversation. But what a beautiful life she must have lived from that point on. Let that be the grace our Lord grants to you today as you come with an open heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.